If you're like me, keeping up with the news has become a real pain. All the best news sites are locked behind paywalls, and the free stuff is just clickbait and fake news that no one should waste time on. Imagine an app where you get unlocked access to reliable news sites. An app that filters out fake news and clickbait, but still shows you every story from multiple perspectives to counter bias. Where good news, as in positive stories, is highlighted so you don't become despondent. And where journalists dig through news from around the world to find stories you wouldn't normally see. That's where an innovative Australian startup called Inkle, that's I-N-K-L, has come up with. Inkle.com has signed partnerships with 100 plus news sources like The Economist, The Atlantic, and Bloomberg, created a unique system combining journalists and algorithms to create a best of news feed. This service unlocks more than $12,000 of premium news for $100 a year. If you go now to inkle.com forward slash inspiration, they'll give you an additional 25% discount. So you can get a whole year's worth of headache free news for just 75 bucks. That's inkl.com forward slash inspiration or check the link in your episode notes below. I think that excited some people and, and turned off others. So you're able to turn on half the company? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're coming in there with a leather sleeveless jacket, I think that makes sense. On the boosted board. I mean, come on. <laughs> Who can resist? And one of the questions was, name as many crystal pricing models as you can, one point each. I think there are like 11 which is a very good learning experience because I think that when we first started, we didn't know that was a possibility. A lot of good lessons learned there. But darn if I am not consistent every day doing it because it's just been built into a process. I don't have to think about it. I don't debate whether I'm going to do it or not or when I'm going to do it or what it's going to be like. Just show up and go. If it feels like you're going through something kind of shitty right now, you just never know what is going to grow out of that. And it might end up being something a lot better I've learned that in a painful way, but it's been a good lesson to learn. Cool. I'm Greg Sklute. I'm 30 years old, headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. I run a company called Crystal. Crystal, we describe ourselves as an app that can tell you anyone's personality. And we use AI and machine learning to analyze biographical text, like a LinkedIn profile or a resume, and predict someone's personality traits. So like behaviors, motivations, communication style. It's remarkably accurate, a little bit creepy, and a really powerful tool for getting to know people and you know, building stronger relationships with them. Austin, happy to be here on the podcast. Well, thank you for spending the time. And one of the reasons I actually am having you on and put you on the entrepreneur list for us to contact is on episode 80, in case anyone wants to check that out afterwards. It's from a guy called Club Waka and Johnny Lehan. And he uh, is a kickball league that he basically put together. And he was talking about one of his secret tools that he uses. And he said Crystal Nose was the one that he uses. So I put you on the list of contact and luckily you're kind enough to accept the invitation. But he was saying that your tool is fantastic. And that was a several years ago and that he has no affiliation with y'all. He just really thought it was an awesome tool. So that's the one he suggested that people use. So glad to hear it. Glad he's liking it and glad to be here. So is yours like a Chrome plugin or like tell us a little bit more? I know you gave us a decent overview, but I don't know if there's anything else that you can tell anyone who's listening to try to understand this a little bit better. Yeah, so Crystal works in a couple ways. At the core, Crystal helps you get a personality profile for almost anybody in any situation. So if it's somebody that you don't know, so perhaps a, a prospect, if you're a salesperson, a new job candidate, 
if you're in a role that's hiring. We have a Chrome extension. It scans the text that's loaded on a LinkedIn profile and then can predict that person's personality type. And it shows in the sidebar, almost like a instantly generated how-to manual on how to interact with that person. And then additionally, you can send people the traditional personality assessments. So for people like your coworkers that you do know, you can send out traditional assessments and they fill it out, takes about 10 minutes, and then you have personality profiles there. And then once you have the profiles, Crystal has lots of powerful tools to use them (laughs) to, to better communicate. So tools for team building, tools for hiring and seeing how candidates match up to a role, avoiding conflict on teams, giving an effective sales demo if you're in sales. Lots and lots of insights once you get the personality profiles. At the core, it's a Chrome extension on LinkedIn and a web app that you can send out assessments and get insights on. It's based on the personality framework DISC. It's been around for a long time, very popular in the workplace. So certainly the Chrome extension is predicting your DISC personality type or your personality profile. So you're saying it's a DISC analysis. So like how many different profiles are there? Like if I went to your profile, right, on LinkedIn and I used this, it would tell me the best way to kind of say hello to you or something like that in a message? Yeah, it kind of runs the gamut. It tells you how to best interact with me. So like, for example, Greg is fast paced. Greg is detail oriented. Let's say you're selling to him. Don't beat around the bush on the price. Come out with it up front. Versus somebody else, you want to build more rapport, you know, a little bit more slowly before you get down to breast tacks. It'll give you insights on how to email me with a subject line that's more likely to get me to open it, with a call to action that's more likely to get me to respond. It is like a wealth of information in there that can guide you on lots of different interactions, whether it's a call or an email, a sales demo, etc. So it does sound simple, but it doesn't seem like it sounds simple to create this plugin to do this. I mean, was it? No, that was definitely more complicated. Like any product you want to make good, it feels simple when you use it, but the behind the scenes are quite a bit more complicated. Using a combination of AI and machine learning and then a lot, a lot of custom written content. So our team has written tremendous amounts of content for all of the different scenarios and personality types. And then based on the analysis of what the type is, we serve up that different content and mix and match it to build a profile for a person. So there's lots of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Like, for example, I think you started to allude to, I think, a few minutes ago, like how many different variations could come out. DISC, as a personality framework, has like four core types. Our personality framework has 16 core types. We take each of the four DISC types, D-I-S-C, split them up into four subtypes. And then even within that, the way our technology works, there can literally be hundreds of different variations. Like, for example, I'm an architect in Crystal. It's a DC in DISC, and that sounds like I'm playing alphabet soup, but once you learn DISC, it's, it's really simple to recognize those words. And even within the quadrant that I land in on the personality map, there are tons of variations. You could be a little bit more imaginative, a little bit more conscientious and detail-oriented, depending on where you land. So I'm rambling into the details. I like details. No, thank you for going into the details, because I think it just shows it wasn't a simple plugin. It sounded like you just made like overnight. So I was curious, how many customers do you have and how big is your team at Crystal? Crystal's been around since 2015. We have thousands of customers now, hundreds of thousands of people that have created accounts and used the product. We have a freemium version as well. Team is about 20 currently. We're headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee, but everybody is spread out all over the place. We're all fully remote and that's working really well. Are you the guy who actually started this by yourself? Not by myself. Originally, my partner Drew and I got it started. And then it's a little bit of a weird story. I left for a while and he kept going and then I came back a few years ago. So we've both had weird histories with Crystal, but originally we kicked it off together. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll jump into the exact timeline and, you know, I guess you leaving and coming back and whatnot and get into that story. But before we do, again, what made you want to actually make this? 
So Crystal was kind of born from the wreckage of our last company. So Drew and I, we went to college up in Boston. I'm at Northeastern. After we graduated, we started another software company called Attend.com. I was software for event planners. I was the president of the Entrepreneurs Club when I was a student. And we would host lots of events. We'd bring entrepreneurs in to speak. And we always had pain around tracking our attendance and handling name tags. And so I built this little piece of software that would make it easier, almost like a little digital kiosk to track attendance at events and then automatically print out a name badge when someone checks in at the event. Honestly, didn't think much of it, but turns out a lot of other people that ran events had kind of similar pain points that our club did. And so we took that little prototype and, and turned it into a company. That was attend.com. We raised some VC money really early. We we're like 22 years old and just had absolutely no idea what we were doing. And unfortunately, it's a great learning experience. The story doesn't end that well, but we ultimately got forced out of the company, technically fired from our own company by the VC investors about two years in. So a wild, wild experience. And it came down to, I mean, there were a lot of reasons for that. A big piece did come down down to misalignment at the board level. And as we were going through the crazy situation, we hired a management coach, older guy that had a bunch more business experience than we did. And he introduced us to this personality framework called DISC. You know, he never attended our board meetings, but we would describe our investors and without ever meeting them, he would be able to predict what they'd do next. It was remarkable. And then when we asked him how, um, it was through DISC, this personality science. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough to, to save us. We still got kicked out. But afterwards, we almost had a running joke. Could we build a robot version of our management coach? Piece of software that could almost whisper into your ear how to communicate and get along with someone and perhaps avoid some of the pitfalls that we fell into. So that is how Crystal was originally born. It was out of that you know, really intense pain that we experienced. And that's how it all got started in 2014, early 2015. Okay. Well, yeah, since we already jumped in the timeline and before, I guess we talk about, you know, how you started a little bit more. Why don't you walk us through getting kicked out of your own company? That probably didn't feel too hot. No, that was a tough one. I mean, long story short, I'll give you the medium version since we got time here on this podcast. <laughs> you know, we ended up with investors that had majority control of the company. It came down to a lot of reasons. I think they were not as comfortable with really young founders. We admittedly, while we were trying super hard, we're learning as we go. And that could be uneasy when the people learning as you go are in charge of your money. <laughs> the company was growing. We made a lot of momentum on it, but it ended up in some conflicts over who to put on the management team and who to put on the board of directors. And there was a lot of misalignment between us and our investors. And they ended up with enough shares to outvote us. And that's what they did. And so we were technically canned. <laughs> Which is a very good learning experience because I think that when we first started, we didn't know that was a possibility. A lot of good lessons learned there. You know, at the time, certainly, I mean, personally, emotionally traumatizing. You know, at that time too, it was my first company, my first real venture-backed company. I had done some startups before, but the first one with like, that was venture-backed. And, you know, especially at that age, I put my whole identity into that thing. So it was like kind of all of your eggs in one basket. So it was kind of like my whole world was collapsing at that time. Very, very tough to navigate through. Our mentors joked that you were kind of earning your MBA in the span of a few months by going through that experience at such a young age. So we did learn a ton. Right. As you got kicked out, was it like all of a sudden or you had a feeling that it was coming? Was there like whisperings where they're going to kind of threaten you about like, hey, if things don't get better or you don't grow faster, then you're going to have to go? I think things were getting more tense. I think as there was more misalignment and miscommunication, you know, particularly towards the end, there was some misalignment around executive hiring and board governance, like who to put on the board and who to hire into the executive team. So as that situation escalated, that's when it started to get real dicey. But then I think it all happened pretty quickly in the span of like six weeks. So summer of 2014, rough time. 
And then at that time, I mean, had you made any money? Like, were you able to save up any money or like, were you not paying yourself out at all? Like, how are you financially? We didn't make any money from it. In fact, we joke, you know, technically the, the company had the right to buy back our invested stock. So Drew and I each got a check, I think for like 60 bucks each. And we went to an all you can eat sushi place. And I got to tell you, it was great. Great dinner. You know, we had been making salaries. So, and it was venture backed. And I like to be fair, we took the risk with our time and the investors were taking the risk with the money. So it wasn't a personal financial loss, but certainly from a bruised ego and like urge to be successful, it was a good kick in the gut. Yeah. It's always important to keep it in perspective because that's what I even tell my wife sometimes. It's like, at least even if I'm not, haven't been making a lot of money financially, like from the podcast and whatnot, at least I'm not going into debt. Right. And like on the hook for so much, cause that's way worse. Like people forget that, like you might not be making money, but at least, you know, if you're going into debt, you're going like the reverse way, which is even worse. So much riskier, so much scarier. Yes. In this case, luckily that was not the situation we were in. So we just kind of became a bunch of unemployed recent college graduates afterwards. But we had a bunch of marketable skills that could be used to start a new company or, or go get a job. So we were, I think, in a fortunate spot, despite kind of feeling pretty depressed afterwards. So where did you go from there? Yeah, so that's when we started to work on Crystal and did that for a few months. At the time, we were both working in Boston, and this was kind of before remote work, I think, was nearly as big as it was today. Again, this was uh, fall of 2014. And so Drew went on a weekend trip to Nashville, Tennessee. Now, we're both from New York, myself from Westchester, him from Long Island. Never been to the South, never been to Nashville. He goes on a weekend trip down there. And lo and behold, he meets a girl and comes back and says, hey, I need to move to Nashville now because I think I'm in love. And I'm like, oh, fantastic. And so he ended up moving to Nashville. And at the time, I was still, to be honest, kind of an emotional wreck from the 10.com blow up. I wasn't quite ready to third wheel chase this girl to Nashville, Tennessee with Drew. So I took a step back and moved to San Francisco, ended up joining another startup called NetPulse. We built mobile apps for gyms. And it was there for a few years. We ended up selling it. It's a ton of fun. And Drew continued on Crystal. And then I don't want to get too deep into the story. And then a couple of years later, I decided, all right, you know what? I will come to Nashville and rejoin the company. <laughs> so it's a windy, windy path. But that's broadly what we did next after we were a bunch of unemployed kids. Okay. Well, that makes sense because you said you left and then came back. So I guess you gave us a preview of that. But tell us, how long were you working on Crystal? Just a few months. It was really early. Okay. Yeah. So barely, not barely into it. And then from there, you go to San Francisco right away and join another startup. I think I knew I needed a change, you know, whether it's a romantic breakup or a company blow up, having a change of location can really, really help. So I just felt like I needed to get out of Boston and just try something new. I had never been to California, uh, never been to the West Coast. So I kind of just showed up with one suitcase and I figured I'd just figure it out. And I kind of bummed around for maybe a month and a half and just meeting tons of people, navigated the crazy San Francisco rental market and found a super cheap sublet. And then uh, a few weeks later, ended up getting the offer to, to join this company, NetPulse. And at the time, I thought I was only going to do it for six months, ended up staying there for almost three years. It ended up being a lot of fun. Well, how did you end up getting that job eventually? You know, I got introduced to the CEO who had just been promoted to the CEO through a mentor that I met when I was a senior in high school, building this other startup called Wellness Space. It was like an early version of my fitness pal, but not as good as my fitness pal. And I met this guy who became a mentor and we kept in touch. Actually, I never met him in person. Still haven't. But he'd always been kind of a good business mentor. And I told him about what happened at Ten.com. He introduced me to a few friends in San Francisco and the CEO of NetPulse was one of them. And while you were there, I guess it took you about six weeks to find a job, you said, eventually? Mm, yeah, about that. 
Do you have any suggestions on how you did it or what you do differently? Because there could be people, you know, listening now who want to move somewhere and don't know how to get their foot in the door because it doesn't sound like you really had any connections. And I feel like sometimes people just make up excuses on why they can't do it. Or, you know, even if you're just trying to find a job, not even start a company. Like, what did you do that you think worked and any suggestions for anyone who's listening? You know, if you're in tech and going to San Francisco, at least circa 2014, 2015, maybe it's a little different now. It's just such a big network. So I went through my LinkedIn and I went through all my connections and scrolled through everybody that was in the San Francisco location. Some of my knew well, some of my barely knew at all. And I must have sent like 50 emails a few days before I left trying to coordinate coffee meetings, find couches to stay on. I think one of them must have been to that, to that other mentor. So it was a lot, it was kind of cold outreach, classic, you know, BDR selling to reconnect with people. And I think with those coffee meetings, I was just trying to get to know people, learn more about what it's like to be in San Francisco and see if they knew of any opportunities. I think at the time I was also just really open. I didn't know if I wanted to start something new or join something new. All I knew is I was really excited about being in a new place and wanted a fresh start. That was kind of my MO. I'll piggyback on my question there because I did kind of something similar because when I was graduating and coming out, the real estate market wasn't too hot and I wanted to do real estate. And I just, here's one thing that I always remember I put in my emails like, hey, I'm a recent college grad because everyone wants to help, like especially a recent college grad or someone who's younger. So even if you're coming out of high school, you could say that if you want to kind of just network. But again, it's just like, hey, I just wanted to see, you know, what you do. I think I'm interested in your field. Right. And I just had a huge Excel list where I would just, you don't need a special CRM or you could use that now, or, but just using Excel or something basic, just start making those connections. And it seems like that's what led to your first job. And that's eventually how I ended up getting my first job too. But again, I didn't have any input or inroads to the commercial real estate field when I wanted to get into it. And you didn't have any sound like again in San Francisco. I mean, these are just little things that I think do help if people take some time and thinking, oh, you know, he must have had connections. It didn't sound like you really did. It was just taking the time and being proactive and trying to reach out to people because people will help you if you reach out and ask for help. But if you don't ask for help, they don't know. They're not sitting there wondering, you know, hey, is Greg looking for a job? He's in Boston about to come to San Francisco, you know? That's right. Austin, I had that exact spreadsheet. So I think your advice is dead on. Again, you might be even a little bit older and just saying you want to switch industries, right? Just tell people you want to get coffee and see what their job's like, because you might think you want to switch industries, have a certain job, but it really might suck. You know, that you don't figure that out till after you switch industries. So you get a job there. Tell us what it's like at, it was called NetPulse. Yep, NetPulse. Yeah, NetPulse, it was a really fun one. So the company was originally founded by this guy, Tom Prue. He was the co-founder of Intuit. So when he was in college at Stanford, him and Scott Cook started Intuit, or they at the time they wrote Quicken, you know, the first personal accounting software, did really well there. And Tom had always had a passion for fitness and ended up buying the assets of this older fitness company and then turning it into what became NetPulse. And originally it was a company that built screens that got attached to cardio machines and gyms. So this was kind of before, like think of a treadmill with like a big LCD screen on it. Before they had them, NetPulse built these connected screens that would get attached to the treadmill, you know, connect into a network. And then it would have like cool video content and there'd be advertisements. And they thought they were going to build this like giant ad network on these LCD screens on cardio equipment. That business ended up being really tough to build. And as they were doing it, they ended up acquiring one of the companies that made virtual video tours, kind of like when you're on a treadmill, you can go for a run and you could like 
see the video of like running through a cool forest. They acquired this company that made those videos. The guy who ran the company's name was John Ford. He ended up being a really great product guy. He came into NetPulse, became their head of product, and kind of realized that there was a bigger opportunity for the fitness industry in mobile apps. A lot of other industries were embracing mobile. Fitness industry is sometimes a little bit slower on technology. So he ended up building this mobile app platform, and they ended up pivoting the whole company from screens on cardio machines to mobile apps for gyms. And right when I was joining, they were, John had just gotten promoted to CEO and was initiating that pivot. And it seemed like a really cool opportunity to help him kind of pivot a company that had been around for a while to do something ancillary different. And sure enough, was just another really great learning experience. So that was what NetPulse did and what we pivoted it into. And what did you exactly do for them there? Yeah, so I came on initially to help them with marketing. I did a little bit of everything. Initially, I built out all their marketing infrastructure. So, you know, launched HubSpot, rebuilt the brand, and then wrote tons of content and blog articles and webinars. So I was running marketing. And then as the company scaled, kind of being an entrepreneur, I was just kind of eager to take on more. And then we had some leadership team changes and I ended up taking on more. So by the end of it, I was overseeing marketing, sales, customer success, and operations. Pretty much everything except product and engineering. It was, it was a lot of fun. A little busy, a lot of fun. So you said you were busy. So what was the work-life balance like? It was, you know, in some ways it was probably better than a 10.com. Not because I was working less hard, but more because I was a little better at not putting all of my identity into the business, knowing that you could get a 10.com and then you'll be a lot sadder if, if everything is wrapped up in there. You know, I think I was a young single guy in San Francisco. There was a lot of fun to be had. And so I was hiking every weekend. I got an electric skateboard. It's called a boosted board. Still ride it. Tremendous amounts of fun. So I had a good balance of like doing fun things and exploring this new area. But I certainly, I mean, I was super passionate about the company. You know, I think probably where I was able to add a lot of value is I just operated like a founder. And of course I wasn't, but I operated like ones. So I was just like, yeah, if customer success needs help, I'll jump in and work on that. Why not? Definitely took on a lot, but overall I had a lot of fun at NetPulse. It was a good learning experience. I know what you're thinking right now. Austin, you have a big dome. Yes, that is correct. But in the back of your mind, you're also thinking, it's about time I become a Patreon member and support this podcast. Well, by joining our Patreon membership, we've included another bonus for all current and new members. We just started Feedback Friday, where Rain Mahadi from episode 145, me from episode 69, and a different Patreon member jump on a call every Friday. Rain and I give you honest feedback on your business and hook you up with our contacts. So if you want feedback on your business and want to help Mr. Big Dong keep this podcast going, well, become a member today. And I can connect you with somebody too. Okay. I have connections on that so I can help you get it custom made, dirt cheap. I'll share that with you. Look at that Patreon membership already paying off. Aww, look at that. And I think all of us have at some point an experience in business where they're doing everything inside their business and you stopping working out, stop hanging out with friends, stop having relationships. And you kind of learn from that. So that is one blessing, too, that you had that kind of first with your first company Or some people might do it in their 40s and they, you know, it's their first business. But and then they get divorced because they spent too much time doing that. So it's, again, just understanding and keeping that in mind. Isn't funny that you brought up your booster board? I have a form that people fill out who do the interviews and I actually had yours up there because I thought it was kind of cool that you said to this boosted board in case no one knows what it is. Could you explain that a little bit more? 
Yes. I'm a big advocate of boosted boards. And for the record, <laughs> I never rode a skateboard. I was not cool enough to ride a skateboard growing up. A boosted board is a long board. It's a long, kind of like a long skateboard with two motors attached to the back wheels and a wireless Bluetooth controller. The best way I can describe the feeling of riding a boosted board is the closest thing we have in the real world to a magic carpet, like from Aladdin. It is like zipping along. It goes almost 25 miles an hour. It can go right up a San Francisco hill, which is just crazy. It was a startup based in San Francisco, but it is just such a cool product. Unbelievable amounts of fun. And I still use it almost every day. I make phone calls. You can see me zipping around Nashville now on the phone every evening on the boosted board. That's one of the things I always ask is like the favorite online purchase they've had and yours was a boosted board. So I wanted to make sure I brought that up. Although, you know, recently what I've been seeing a lot, maybe you have two, it's the one wheel electrics. Mm -hmm. Are those the same? Are those just called one wheels? Or are they called something else? Yeah, the one wheels. And it's in the similar like family of products. I think the one wheel is a little harder to like to balance and learn on. Yeah, it looks like it. It definitely looks like it. That's what I thought originally that you were talking about. But yeah, your longboard version seems much easier to learn than doing the one wheel thing. One of our former employees at Crystal got a one wheel. I took it for a spin. I think I fell off pretty quickly, but he figured it out. I think he fell off a couple of times too. I've luckily never really fallen off the boosted board. Though I know friends that do. You still have to be careful and wear pads and stuff. But yeah, boosted board's a lot of fun. Well, the Busa board has four wheels and I'm not genius, but this one has one wheel. So I feel like you have more balance with the <laughs> four. Right. Right? That's so, right. And the booster board has a brake in the wireless controller. You can slow down. So so if, I guess if anyone's looking for a uh, Christmas present. You will make somebody very happy. Board. <laughs> yeah, you'll make Greg very happy if you send him one. He, he can have two. Maybe you could have your whole team on there, right? Booster boards and Zoom calls through their phones. I'm big on these like a little electric vehicles. So I also have the hoverboard. So these are like the ones that everybody got for Christmas that were blowing up. I actually have two of those. We had one in our office that now it, when we had to clear out the office is now in my living room. My original one in my office upstairs. So I hover all the time on the hoverboards. <laughs> nice. Yeah you, yeah, you are a very futuristic guy, huh? Have you seen those like water jet packs that people do at the lakes and stuff like that? Now you're going to make fun of me, but I did that two summers ago. <laughs> I did that in yeah. summer 2019. It's a lot of fun. It looks like it. It looks pretty yeah. scary, though, like if you don't know how to do it. Like, I, I mean, I saw a guy going underwater and coming back out. Was that what you were doing? Yes, it's very fun. <laughs> There's also a guy who went over the English Channel recently. You must know about this then, too, that he like, but it's like a flying thing. I mean, they got, I think they had to add some boats to refuel them or whatever, but he literally was flying with, I don't know if it's just air, it's not water attached or anything <laughs> like that. Have you seen that? You know, I do water, I do wheels on land, I don't do air. Drew, my business partner, he, he has his pilot's license, so he flies little planes. So he does the really daredevilly hobbies. I stick to riding on the land and a little bit in the water. Yeah, understandable. You and I think yeah. the exact same. It's that, you know, <laughs> I feel much safer just being on a level surface than me trying to learn how to be a pilot, you know? I think so. But Drew does pretty good. He, he's learned it, so... Nice. All right. So back to if we're going to net pulse, I mean, as you left that company, because you were there about three years in total. Yeah, we ended up selling the company. So it got acquired by a German fitness company called eGym. And at the time, I was kind of starting to feel the entrepreneurial bug again. And I thought it would be a good time to try something else. So, so I left at the point of when we did the acquisition. And did you do well financially there at that company? Because you, I don't know if they're paying you a high salary and you had any ownership interest. I guess because you said they sold it to eGym as well. But like, how were you personally financially there? Yeah, I had a salary and then had some equity too. So eGym's a private company. So some of it was private company stock. So fingers crossed, we'll see how they do. <laughs> okay. And then yeah. from there, did you decide you wanted to get out of San Francisco? Or did you know you like were you talking to your co-founder from Crystal before? Or what was the thinking of what was going to happen there next? 
Yeah, I did know I wanted to get out of San Francisco. Why? You know, I have noticed there's a pattern in San Francisco, and it tends to be about a three-year cycle. The first year you get to San Francisco, you know, you are in just like a wonderland. It's amazing, especially if you come from the Northeast, there's no snow. You can bike everywhere. Like if you're into entrepreneurship and technology, it's just like everywhere. Nothing can get you down. Everything's fantastic. The second year, you start to like notice the little things like, huh, it's not ever like snowing, but it's also always kind of chilly. You know, there's all those warm summer nights. I forgot about those. And you're like, it's kind of wet. And oh my gosh, my rent is like four times more than all my friends are paying in other places. But it's San Francisco. And then by the third year, you're like, all right, screw this. Screw the rent. Screw the chilliness. I'm done. Going somewhere else. <laughs> and I have seen many, many friends go through that exact same cycle. And you're tired of seeing shit on the sidewalk? That comes into play too. <laughs> and we're not talking good, about- Good amount of that in San Francisco. <laughs> we're not talking about dog shit either, right? No, we are not. San Francisco is a very unique place. So I did something particularly wacky. So at the time, we started to hire more remote people at NetPulse and we got to about 70 people. So it's a pretty decently sized company. And as I was running customer success, I was doing a ton of traveling. The fitness industry is pretty in person. You know, it was tough for them in COVID. But so I was visiting a lot of our customers in person. I was selling in person and I was traveling like crazy. And you know, San Francisco, it's a great airport, major airport, but not the most efficient if you're going all over the country. Like flying from Miami back to San Francisco on a Friday night is not fun. And I kind of had this wacky idea. This will give you a view into my wacky mind as I would sometimes have to connect through Dallas. And you know the signs you see on apartment buildings sometimes on the side of the highway that say, if you lived here, you'd be home already? Well, I kind of thought to myself, you know, what if I moved to Dallas? and I will live, I'll get a place really close to the airport. I'm super rewards on Southwest Airlines. Southwest is, you know, Dallas is Southwest's biggest hub. And I am just going to use Dallas as like my backyard or use Southwest as my backyard. And I'm just going to make it super easy to travel anywhere and travel all the time. And so I did that and moved to Dallas in the spring of 2017. And that sounds smart because I mean, there's multiple things too. I mean, yeah, like you said, it's a hub, but it's also in the middle of the country if you have to travel anywhere. And I imagine taxes and cost of living is a fifth. It's like a part-time employee joined your family and just contributed all their salary into your bank account. That's what it's like when you move from San Francisco to Dallas. Between the rent and the taxes, and the, and the taxes are pretty material in Paris, especially in San Francisco. It is crazy. So yeah, no kidding. And of course, like maybe at the time, this was more novel. Now I feel like everybody's kind of figured this out. <laughs> and hence, uh, places like Nashville, where I am now, are, are kind of booming. And then were you still actually at NetPulse when you made that decision, though, you're saying? I was. I was. Okay. And then so as you were there, were they okay with you staying there if you were just traveling so much? Yeah. The CEO actually moved too. So he moved up to Seattle. We had shut down our office a little while earlier as we were going remote and the company's kind of in this acquisition path. And so, yeah, everybody was aligned there. Okay. And so you're in Dallas. And at this point, did you know that you think you're only going to stay at NetPulse for a little bit longer? I knew that the end was near. And in hindsight, that made the move to Dallas all the more risky because I really didn't know anybody in Dallas. So Dallas made a lot more sense when I had a job that I was traveling for. It made a lot less sense after I left that job, which would then bring us to the sad times of winter and spring of 2018. Well, let's hear those sad times. <laughs> so I'm in Dallas. I left NetPulse and I'm in a good spot. I'm kind of, I don't have to get a new job urgently. I can kind of think about what I want to do next. And I ended up tinkering on this product. It was a product a partner and I built 
a little while earlier as a side project. It's called Weekly Update. It's a little management tool that helps teams uh, communicate more effectively by sharing quick written updates at the end of each week. It's part of a process people sometimes refer to as uh, plans, problems, and progress, PPP. It is having each of the people on your team write a quick summary of their PPP each week. And this was a little tool that made that easy. It kind of sent people auto reminders and took their PPP report and put it all together and shared it with the team. A really simple app I originally built to help my own team communicate better. And time decided, why don't I try? I have this sitting here. Why not turn it into a business? And so I did that. I had a partner that was working part-time. He still had a full-time job as an engineer. And it was pretty solo. And that was a lot less fun. Working by yourself on a kind of very bootstrapped project in a place where you don't know anybody. <laughs> and again, in hindsight, this is like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But at the time, I didn't, it wasn't as clear to me. So that was tough. And we did end up building it up, got a bunch of customers. And actually the product kind of still runs on by itself today. But I kind of realized over the following eight months or so, that was not going to be a good path. I kind of missed having a team and being in an environment where there's lots of people. I can be introverted. I am still more enough of a people person where doing a lot of solo work just by myself in a box was not quite as fun. Is that getweeklyupdate.com? That's right. It looks very straightforward. And I guess anyone could check that out. So you say it's still up and running so people could actually use this? still up and running. We got a whole bunch of people using it. It's a great little product. My team uses it and I've now used it for actually, you know, bringing it full circle. Actually, the original advice of having your team write these weekly updates, you know, came from a mentor at attend.com. So started it back then. So as you're doing that, you're kind of working this by yourself, I guess this company, if you will, the weekly update company, right? Pretty much. Yep. And after how long, nine months, you said you realize, hey, the, I don't, it's getting kind of boring just being in my apartment all the time doing this by myself. Correct. I knew that much before the nine month mark, but it started to get real depressing. How long? Probably after like a week, maybe. I don't know. Like, And here's the thing. And this is some interesting kind of insight for listeners. You know, when we were building the product, that's a lot more exciting. It's like, oh, we're coding it. We're designing it. It's going to be great. And then you have it. And then it's like, okay, now we got to go get customers. And building the marketing funnel from scratch for a new SaaS product is grueling. I mean, that is tough. I would comb through my network and get feedback. I must have done 100 calls, like doing customer development and getting feedback from people and getting early beta users. I mean, it is a grind. And I think the dilemma was is that the product, it was really simple, which is great, but kind of a little too simple at the time to turn into a kind of more bigger funded thing and I think if you were looking for something that you could just kind of fully bootstrap and kind of have on autopilot, it's great. I think I didn't understand this at the time, but I realized that that wasn't what was going to satisfy me. I wanted a bigger challenge. I wanted more people. This idea of just having a SaaS product that has passive income wasn't as appealing as I thought it would be. Depending on the person too, some people can just do the same job their whole life or be in the same niche or whatnot. But, you know, for me, what's always kind of kept me going and what I find is I start getting bored after a couple of years is if I'm just doing the same thing and not learning, you know, and so maybe I don't know, maybe you were feeling this too. Like, it's cool that you're starting your own company, but again, the cons of seem like doing it by yourself and maybe it gets to that point where, hey, now that I built it, that was fun, but now I just have to sell it over and over and over. And maybe there's no educational aspect of you learning anything new, maybe. I think that came into play. I was like, I was iterating on marketing and I was learning there, but it was just, you know, it was lonely. I really don't advocate for like working by, I get depends on the person, but kind of being somewhat co-founderless or solo is just, that's really hard. Um, I think I realized that wasn't for me. And then you went back to your lover, your co-founder from <laughs> before? Yeah, yes, essentially yes. So, 
You know, Drew and I had stayed really close. We probably talked almost every day in between time, just as best friends. And I was still like, I still owned a piece of crystal. I was still an advisor and I kind of knew how it was going. And, you know, Drew and I have very opposite personalities. His strengths are my weaknesses and, and my weaknesses are his strengths. So as Crystal went along, almost think of it like we were the two parents and it was being raised in a single parent household with just the strengths and weaknesses of that single parent, which for Crystal meant it had tons of great ideas and creativity, but it was a bit of a discombobulated mess, kind of unorganized and all over the place because that was the Drew side of things. So as we were you know, looking at that, it was like, geez, it's kind of missing the organized, process-oriented Greg side of things. And I definitely felt a pull of like, it felt like unfinished business. And the timing really worked out. So I said, all right, what the heck? And Drew had me back. And so I moved to Nashville and that was in the summer of 2018, almost three years ago. You come in the doors like a rock star with music playing in the background, feeling like it was unfinished business? Uh, in my head, in my head, that's what was happening. <laughs> well, I guess you were probably rolling it on your boosted board, actually, now that I think about you know, it. Right? I actually did. <laughs> and I had sent Drew. So I had the hoverboard initially in, in San Francisco and Drew came to visit me and rode it and loved it. So for his birthday, I got him one. I sent him a hoverboard to the crystal office. He didn't know, this is a great insight into Drew's personality, for like a week, he didn't really know who sent it to him and didn't even like, he kind of like just disregarded it like, oh, great, hoverboard, and just rolled around on it. So anyway, I got to be reunited with that hoverboard and did plenty of hovering when I got back here, so. Do you think Santa sent it to him or something? I don't know. I don't know how he didn't piece together that it came from me, but apparently it wasn't until like we talked a few days later that I said, are you enjoying the gift? He had to think for a minute. It's like, oh, it was you. So yes, Greg pops in there with his leather jacket vest with no you know sleeves on, right? And just some glasses. I'm imagining this. Tell me if yeah, I'm wrong. it's roughly <laughs> that. How many people were on the team when you came back? It was about 12. Did they all know you at all or no? Some of them knew of me. There was running jokes because Drew and I talked all the time that I was like this secret behind the scenes person that's like pulling strings. And so they knew of me almost as more like a mythical character that Drew talks to. And like, I occasionally joined a meeting, but a lot of it was new. It was cool that he was your best friend too. I guess you had ownership stake too. So not only just from the friendship stake, but you actually had a purpose too. Even if y'all weren't necessarily friends, you know, I guess you having some ownership in it actually helps to keep connection on not just your friendship, but knowing what's going on with the business too, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And so, yeah, you come in and like I said, did you know exactly what you're going to do when you had moved back to Nashville? Had you already set up a plan? Because you seems like you said you're like Mr. Organized and you had some structure that you wanted to implement with your partner there? Yeah. You know, I started with listening. So I kind of took inventory of everything and you know, in some ways, it was a little similar to NetPulse. I would describe NetPulse as a turnaround. NetPulse had been doing something else, right? The screens and cardio equipment. That business was kind of proving to not be what was going to carry the company. And so we had to do a pivot. And it was almost as a we were kind of turning it around to being going in a very different direction. And there were some similarities in Crystal. At the time, the company was struggling a bit. It was kind of a jumping between a lot of different focuses. It was, we were really struggling with the business model. The product had kind of gotten bloated and confusing. The team structure was kind of unorganized and, and it was kind of hard for people to know what their responsibilities and goals were. So there was a lot of low hanging fruit that I could jump into. And we spent the rest of 2018 rebuilding. We redesigned almost every page in the product. We totally changed the pricing model. We made a lot of changes on the team. We kind of went through a really effective process in 2018 to get the company to a healthier state. And as a result, we had a really great year in 2019. Well, yeah. Can we dive into a couple of those things that you just mentioned? 
Yeah. So when we started, we built this framework of, I think there were like six core problems that we identified probably in my first few weeks. And maybe actually, let me, before I even go into the six, I remember the exercise we did on my first day was Drew and I went to a whiteboard and we made a list of all the things Drew was responsible for. And sure enough, it ran the gamut from finance to customer support to sales. Like he was jumping so much in between doing all these things that he's not that good at and doesn't get a lot of energy from. And we quickly said, okay, let's start to divide this now and figure out what are the areas that you don't get energy from and you're not the best at. And sure enough, those are the ones that typically I'm really great at. And so we really redefined Drew's role almost immediately. That freed him up to be a lot more creative and strategic on our product and took him out of the stuff that he was kind of like hacking his way through, like managing and goal setting and QA testing. So that was a big first thing we did that made a pretty tremendous impact. Well, that seems like it makes sense. Yeah, because even when you're starting that partnership came in, you made sure that y'all know the exact roles so you're not stepping on each other's foot. But I'd written down a couple of different things. Like you said you switched to pricing. So I was curious what happened with the pricing from like before and after and why do you switch it? Oh, gosh. So Crystal's always historically struggled with getting a pricing model right. It's because the product appeals to lots of different people, lots of different user personas. It can be tough to make pricing that works well for everybody. And they have just ex they'd experimented with pricing model after pricing model, and they had landed on one that was not working well at all. So we needed to revert it and get to something a lot simpler. It was a lot more complex, um, too many options. Yeah. What was it? Just so it helps everyone know the exactly. Yeah, it was kind of like Audible, where you buy credits and then can exchange them for different parts of the product. And the ideas behind it were good, but the credit system, as it's referred to internally, was a almost comically hilarious disaster. So it was kind of a fire burning right as I walked in the door. And so we figured out something a little cleaner and simpler and moved back away from the credit system. Yeah, I guess it's funny unless you're an investor. Yes, but it was all it was very fixable. Yeah, that was kind of a joke there. Yeah. I guess you were an investor too, so you at least right, you thought yeah. it was funny. I guess knowing that it's worked out, I guess what we'll get to. So I guess it wasn't funny then, it's more funny because I always like to play a prank on Jonah, our lead engineer, who kind of really went through the brunt of it and always thought how the credit system is so awful. So I'll always joke with Jonah when I'm talking about like our priorities coming up for the next quarter. I'll always say, you know, I'm thinking we re-implement the credit system. He always kind of chuckles and gives me the look of, I'll kill you. <laughs> So what was the actual pricing system then afterwards? It was a lot simpler. So we introduced one plan called Crystal Premium, pay $29 a month for, and it gave you kind of access to a lot of the core features. We iterated from there and started to add some other plans for some of the different use cases. But having a simple $29 a month Crystal Premium for self-service helped a lot. And at the time, just to give everybody context, our business was entirely self-service driven. We had no sales team, no paid marketing. This was all based on organic word of mouth growth and people, you know, buying on the website. I was curious, maybe this was kind of easy, but when you're switching, did you have some other pricing before the credit system, I guess? Maybe you had something similar? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so we've also made a funny chart internally of Crystal. of the Actually, no, not even just the chart. At our last company holiday party, we do a fun like Crystal trivia game for everybody. We did this virtually last year. And one of the questions was, name as many Crystal pricing models as you can, one point each. I think there are like 11 
over the last six years, it is crazy. Different pricing plans, different mixtures of features. You know, it's all been for the most part around different SaaS, you know, recurring subscription models. There's been a couple where it's kind of like pay as you go for certain features or download. We had a thing where you can download a personality report for a one-time cost per report. This has been one of the most challenging aspects of Crystal is getting the business model right. Um, and now it's actually more getting the focus right between these many different types of people that like to use the product. It's not the worst problem to have, but it still can make for some complicated pricing model discussions. Okay. So you're saying you had about 11 models. So this makes it even better because this will hopefully help anyone. So let's say someone has a shitty pricing system now, right? And then switching over people like from one model oh, to the other. Was the, yeah, I know it sounds like a head. That's what I'm just thinking. I'm like, well, this has to be the best question to ask anyone I've had on if you've had 11 different pricing models. You know, we have tried as best as we could to not drag users through the mud or customers through the mud. So, <laughs> so you just reset 11 times. We basically convert them over to the same model, but keep their previous pricing. That's what we used to do when it was self-service and we were making so many changes because it just became such a mess. But that means we have these legacy customers from a long time ago paying this ridiculous price for now they're getting so much more. And it was always a mess, but that was kind of the price to be paid, no pun intended here, for changing the pricing model. Yeah. And I always thought legacy pricing is the best because like, for instance, like I know I used Zapier and I got in 10 years ago, you know, so it's like I get a much better deal than people do now. And I think that, you know, you're rewarding the people to stay there and probably incentivizing them to stay. Right. You know, but it's also like you had totally where you went from credits to back to monthly plans and stuff like that. That seems like such a headache that, again, I didn't know if you had to jump through hoops on if it's a different system like that, if you're even like allowed to legally like easily change them or if you just have to give them, you know. I guess just the best way to do it, but yeah. it seems like it wasn't as hard as I'm making it out to be. No, it, more annoying than hard. And the annoyance gets compounded when you do it 11 times. Right. I mean, it seems like it. And then one other thing that you said when you came in guns ablazing the second time around is that the people, I guess, did you fire a lot of people? You know, we had a lot of people leave and, this and it was your choice. My personal choice. It was the company's choice. <laughs> no, so what I'm saying is quite a few people left on their own. Okay. And I think that when you have such a change, you know, my style, I think Drew's style was just extremely lack of structure, kind of more like a group of freelancers. And while that created a lot of freedom and creativity and flexibility, it was really tough to scale a company that way. So I think when I came in, it was very different. I think that excited some people and, and turned off others. And, and that was kind of perfect because the people that got excited were the ones that continued with us. It really thrived up through today. So frankly, it's a thing that happened that in some ways is kind of like one of the healthiest ways it could happen when a company changes and people kind of self-select and say, you know what, this isn't as a good fit for me going forward. Let me go find something that is. I think it's one of the healthiest ways that kind of transition can happen. So you're able to turn on half the company? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're coming in there with a leather sleeveless jacket, I think that makes sense. On the boosted board. I mean, come on. <laughs> Who can resist? Right. All right. So how long did it take to, uh, would you say, to fully kind of implement this change that we were seeking? Pretty much all through 2018, So, uh, which was second half. So I think I started late July or, or August 1st. So pretty much all of Q3 and Q4. Almost felt like we were relaunching January 1st of 2019. So can we have some metrics of like what it was before, like the year before and then the year after these changes of like financially, I guess even, you know, you said you had a credit system, which sounded like it was horrendous. And then you switched back to something else. Can you just give us an idea of what changes you made? Yeah, for sure. So in 2019, we grew the company almost 100%. So we, we pretty much doubled the revenue base. And to put that in perspective, in 2018, when all was said and done, we were about flat, slightly decreased actually. 
because of the kind of ups and downs of messing with the pricing model. So it was pretty night and day 2018 compared to 2019. We also kind of something I'm proud of in 2019 became cash flow positive. So as we found is, you know, as we trimmed the team down and kind of really narrowed in our focus, we were able to do a lot more with a lot less. And we've actually maintained cash flow positivity pretty much through today. So that was a pretty big win back then that's continued. That's always a good thing in business though, right? Sure is. Given us a lot of flexibility. I think we learned a lot of lessons from attend.com on going too fast and not having too much money in the bank. If things don't go well, you're kind of backed against a wall. And at Crystal, it's really quite the opposite. So, you know, I think Crystal's unique among startups. We've grown more slowly, more conservatively, but that gives us a lot of cushion and a lot of flexibility to really figure things out. And that's kind of what we've done the last few years. It made it so when COVID happened, you know, that wasn't an existential threat to us. It was more like, okay, this is going to be a bump and this actually could be a great opportunity. And sure enough, it was. You know, when it comes to your next business read, you do have options. You could pick up that trendy new buzzwordy business book, or you could learn the timeless buzzword free lessons of a straightforward modern classic. I'm talking about Good Profit by Charles Koch, a CEO with a real world track record of decade upon decade of actual exponential business growth. Want the lessons from someone who's actually done it? Start by visiting goodprofitbook.com. That's goodprofitbook.com. Well, thanks for letting us break down your business. Hopefully that helped a little bit. Oh, it's more than paid for the Patreon. I feel like I was in debt to you for everything I've learned so far in the last year. Well, we just thought this would be fun. We just started recently doing it. So that way we can give you more detailed help than just on the group calls. So again, Rain, thanks for your time per usual as well. Yeah, right on. No, this is always fun. Thank you, Rain. All right, guys. I mean, for most businesses, like, okay, yeah, obviously you want to be cash flow positive, but a lot of these kind of, I guess, tech-centric companies, they're just trying to break even and trying to grow as much as they can, it seems like, all the time. But I think you taking a step back and learning from your first company, like you said, I mean, the risk assessment of like, yeah, if COVID happens or anything like that, it's definitely worth the risk to me to grow slower and make sure you're doing things right. And then that way, if you do screw up and let's say you wanted to switch pricing models a 12th time, and that was a bad idea, right? That you have enough money in the bank that you're not worried that, hey, let me switch my pricing model one more time and be 13 models in, right? That's right. It gives you that flexibility and it's certainly a different dynamic and certainly the growth goals are different for everybody. And all the shareholders have to decide what's best. I think for Crystal, at least so far, it's helped us kind of slowly get to a much better spot. And like to put it in perspective now, we were only about seven people. So we've trimmed the team down. We were seven people pre-COVID and we're now about 20. So we've done a ton of hiring over the last year. We built out, we hired a fantastic VP of sales, head of marketing, head of customer success, built out an inside sales team, doing a great job, so moving away from just self-service. So it took a while, but a lot more has clicked, especially over the last 12 to 18 months. And again, because I guess maybe other companies, right, where they couldn't afford the talent anymore because they were just break even the whole time. It sounds like you just having that money in the bank and seeing the foresight of like, hey, we can grow now and there's surplus talent at discounted rates that, you know, that obviously helped you too, it seems like. And then looking forward, do y'all just work exclusively with LinkedIn or is it anything else? So the way Crystal can analyze any biographical text, so a text written about you, it could be a resume, it could be a bio on a website, it could be a LinkedIn profile. So a LinkedIn profile tends to work really well for our model, but so does a resume. 
Okay. So those are kind of the two applications that your technology is used on. But is there something like going forward that you have planned out or thinking of different ways to, I guess, even, you know, diversify your risk from just being kind of this plug in with maybe a resume and with LinkedIn? Is there other ways that of you guys thinking of like how to expand the company or different ways to go into different markets? Yes. Yeah, so the other side of the business is assessments, which is a little less sexy, more traditional. And this is the take a personality test. And on Crystal, you can sign up, you can create a free account and take the basic tests. And we have lots of tools for having your team take all the tests and aggregate all the results and building cool reports that let you help people work better together. That's a big side to Crystal that's totally separate from the we call them the predictions, kind of predictions and assessments. Predictions is the Chrome extension. Assessments are the tests. And we have both. They span between these kind of three core markets, sales, hiring and team building and learning and development. So we are diversified, I'd say in some cases to a fault because it can be really sometimes playing whack-a-mole between these three. Typically Crystal has suffered from shiny object syndrome with a jump between them and sometimes hard to stay focused. So that's been something we're putting more effort into this year. So between the three, I know you said one's the assessment, one's kind of the online prediction, right? Oh, and the third one's the team building. Is that what you're saying? Correct. The predictions more relevant for the sales use case, whereas the assessments are more relevant for the teams and hiring use cases. Okay. So, well, then is it just really two that you're saying? Two technologies that are generating a personality profile, predictions and assessments, and they apply to kind of three markets, team building, hiring, and sales. Okay. So what's the percentage of revenue breakdown between the predictions? Like, you know, I guess, again, that would be kind of the plugin, right? And the assessments that where people are doing the, I guess, maybe older school stuff that you're talking about. Yeah, it definitely skews more towards the sales product. So the Chrome extension, that's always kind of been what we're known for. And, and that product does get people really excited. So it skews towards sales for sure. Okay. So what's the plan going forward with, I don't know, you said there's shiny object syndrome, but it seems like it makes sense because that's at least y'all doing assessments because that's what I would be worried if you're just doing predictions. It sounds like it's fantastic technology and stuff, but I don't know if you're thinking like 10 years down the line, I don't know if you are, but just the assessments aspect, even if it's a little bit of revenue, is something different. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of opening my mind to anyone who's listening on like other ways they could expand their business, just ways you thought about it. So are there any other thoughts going forward on that? Yeah. Yes. So you're absolutely right. They do sync together and we have many customers that use all three of those products. So we kind of evolved our messaging in the last six months to be more focused on disk. We call ourselves a disk platform and the core of what we're selling is we call it integrated disk. So it's something that it's kind of a practice that we use in our company today. It's integrating this disk personality framework into your sales and team building and hiring processes and making all of your team members fluent in DISC. I was thinking like DISC is a language. And when everybody becomes fluent in DISC, all of these really great positive benefits happen that we experienced when we were starting to learn that fluency at attend.com and we certainly experience internally here. So I think in general, we are iterating on all of those. And overall, an aim for this year is still to narrow down, okay, how can we more effectively scale without feeling like we're constantly jumping between three very different target user personas? So I think that has continued to be a challenge for us because they're just, well, while they're related, they could each be a company. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It sounds like it. Do you have the same people working on kind of all three or is it like, do you have like two people working on one part and another person working? At a 20 person company, everybody's kind of working on everything. That's what it seems like. Yeah. Okay. Well then, I mean, just with this, I mean, what are your plans for the future? I guess, do you see yourself like just being with Crystal forever or, you know, what's your plans going forward? Yeah. I mean, I have always had the entrepreneur bug. I started my first company when I was 14 years old, fixing computers and building websites out of my parents' basement. <laughs> and I've got to been doing startup stuff since. 
I've always said that for me, entrepreneurship and starting and building businesses is fun. Just like riding the boosting board is fun. If you told me like, what do you like to do for fun? I would say startups and building companies. Like that's really fun to me. I thought it would be like visiting LinkedIn profiles and looking <laughs> yeah, well, at that's, assessments. Yeah, that, that gets a little too, you know, <laughs> too specific. <laughs> but yeah, so in the long run, I've always said I want to lead a bigger company. I'm starting with startups because that's how you get started. But I'd love to grow and scale a company to be giant and have the privilege of getting to lead that. That's always been a pull to me. So, so what's been the biggest struggle since you came back to Crystal? Personally or for the company? How about personally? Because I don't know if we've talked about like personally, like, you know, I know we've talked about some along the way, like when you had your own company and kind of working by yourself, but yeah, even if it's just personally now. Let's see, I think as I've come back, parsing through and getting a really solid understanding for the stuff that happened in the middle while I was gone and getting that context into my head is challenging. And I think, you know, it's, it's been years and it really has, I feel like it now is fully clicked, but especially with Crystal, where we've made so many changes, understanding the history and the context of what we've tried before, what landmines we've avoided or stepped into before, getting all that and getting it into my head has overall been a challenge. I think I feel good about it now, but over the years, getting that right has certainly been a challenge. And how about, do you have like a certain routine now that like every day that you're in at a certain time, go to sleep at a certain time? Because this one thing I've kind of forgot, I used to ask people all the time about their like daily routines. I mean, do you consider yourself a really big routine person and has that helped with your success personally? Definitely. So I actually just published a blog post, I think last month about routine where I list out of like 10 of my routines that I do every, whatever period. I am very routine oriented. Drew, of course, is the opposite as we balance each other out. So I go for the same run every morning. At 7.30 a.m. 7.30 a.m. Same time. I just saw the blog post right Right, exactly. 7.30 a.m. Same time, same place, same route. So you're easy to stalk. Correct. <laughs> Correct. That's right. Yes. If someone was stalking me, they would figure it out really quick. And I think there's such a power in routine. Like I have friends and you know, plenty of people probably exercise more than me, but I do a, I do a run every morning. It's not a crazy run, but I have friends that were always like, oh, like, how do you, I feel like sometimes I do it. Sometimes I'm not in the mood for it. Like, and, and I was at, I'm not going to be the, I'm not the fastest runner. I don't run the longest, but darn, if I am not consistent every day doing it because it's just been built into a process. I don't have to think about it. I don't debate whether I'm going to do it or not, or when I'm going to do it or what it's going to be like, just show up and go. And I, and I'm kind of rehashing the blog post at this point, but there's a lot of lessons there that can be applied to a business in like how the operational cadence of a business that helps things run smoothly. When we know, like, for example, that our leadership team meets every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central, no one has to think, when are we all going to be back together talking about big challenges? Everybody knows it's Monday at 9 a.m. So I love routines. I love the power of routines in taking things that would be maybe more challenging, like getting yourself to run every day and just making it automatic. So yes, big on routines. And I didn't know that before I asked that really. <laughs> I really question. did go to your LinkedIn profile. I started looking through things you recently had written or something. And then that's how I knew the 7.30 a.m. I really just had no clue that you've written a blog post about it. Do you mind if we dive into that a little bit more? Sure. Yeah, a, I, I wrote about it. I thought it was a great topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so perfect. So yeah, that would be a great time to talk about it. I like your number one and I'm going to come back to it. But okay, your Monday morning, 9 a.m. I think I could do it. I think a lot of people listening could do that. But how about what you do Monday after that, like up till lunch, like, do you have the same thing that you do every week? Are you doing, you know, like, especially being CEO and so you're running, I guess like a 20 person company. What are you doing between 10 AM and noon? <laughs> yes. It's funny. I remember at attend.com, which is my first time being a CEO, I made a grid of what my schedule was going to be every week. And I like made themes for the day. I was like, 
Tuesday morning is going to be engineering morning. And I showed it to a mentor and he kind of laughed at me and said, there is no way you're going to do that because that's not the way it works. <laughs> Things are going to change and evolve and new situations are going to happen and your priorities are going to shift. Like you can have broad themes you want to accomplish each week. Like maybe each week you're going to have an engineering check-in, but to expect it's going to be at the same time at the same place, you're crazy. And they were very right. So I tend to be a bit more flexible there. I do have a bunch of recurring kind of like check-ins with different departments. Monday morning after our leadership meeting, I'm pretty flexible. Okay. How about like a Tuesday or can you give me an example? Because for me, I'm pretty good at certain things too. Like, I mean, other than showing up on our pre-interview on time, <laughs> I was late for that, which I apologize. But And I forgave, I forgave him. <laughs> so that's why I was early on this one. But, you know, I think the meetings thing everyone can understand, but it's kind of the time in between that ends up getting wasted, I feel like. And it sucks sometimes because you're like, man, was I as efficient as I could be? And one of the things that you have is the number one is that on Sunday evening, you plan for the week. And I hear about this all the time. And I'm like, I try to, and like, sometimes I do, but honestly, that's probably like 10% of the time. <laughs> it's like, I end up putting it off and it's just like, I don't know, maybe I'm just a bad person, but maybe other people struggle with this or what keeps you motivated to keep doing that? Because I feel like I'm still a motivated person. I like to get stuff done. A lot of people listening, if they listen this far are motivated and want to be, you know, better business people. But if this is one of your specialties, then maybe there's something that I'm missing or we could learn from you on this. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I'm an expert on it, but I'm happy to, to share what I do. So yeah, I make something, I call it the weekly agenda and it's basically a list. I'm in a Google doc. I make one every week. So there's a folder of gotta be hundreds of them by now that has just my priorities for the week. I try to think of it before Monday. It could be Friday, it could be over the weekend, it could be early Monday morning if I didn't get to it. But I have a list of projects, priorities, and, and they range from right something to like some of them are understand x so like understand the next steps with x and it's just one of the initiatives on my list for that week is to connect with whoever i have to connect with in the company to better understand where we're at with x so that they really run the gamut from things i'm doing to think people i need to talk to but that's that list and throughout the week i am referencing that list and i'm using that to drive my agenda something i do and i will not take credit for this i got it from my friend warren Say it again. Warren Buffett. Yeah. <laughs> Di different, different word. <laughs> Almost Less as successful. Wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just a little bit. And he just calls it calendaring out his day. And, and now he does this much more intensely than I do. He actually really does structure in advance calendar invites to it for himself for everything he wants to do that day. I don't do it that way, but I do in real time. I have a second calendar I call tasks. As I'm taking on a thing or let's say our VP of sales calls me, I spend 30 minutes on the phone with him. I will add that as a calendar invite to this little calendar so I can look back and see how I spent my time. And sometimes I'll schedule out tasks that I want to do at certain times during the day, but I tend to be flexible with them. So maybe the key here is list of things to accomplish, structure for tracking them, but there can be flexibility on specifically when you do it. The routine is more the process of thinking out and having specific things you want to get done, not necessarily you have to work on X project at X time, at least for me. But I know this works so differently for everybody. No, I totally agree with you because sometimes I'll get in the zone of like wanting to do something and I'm like, versus if I'm not feeling it, I'm like, fuck, I'll just, you know, like I'm not going to force it because I said on Tuesday afternoon, I am going to research or email people to come on the podcast, you know? But then there'll yeah. be some days where I'm feeling it. So I'm kind of feeling you on that because I've also heard, like you said, some people want to put down every 15 minutes what they're blocking and doing. And I tell you, Warren is quite productive and I think that works for him. Maybe he's doing it in 30 minute blocks. So I took a piece of his advice. But yeah, it's everybody has their own tools. 
but it, that's definitely been helpful for me. And then there's certainly been other routines I find found really valuable. You know, I've been doing a lot of reading. I think one of you, you asked me in one of the pre-interview questions what one of my favorite books was, and I've gotten really into reading in the last year. So every morning I'll wake up pretty early and spend about an hour reading. And that's typically the first hour of the day and the last 30 minutes to an hour. So that's a routine that's also really stuck. How early? So this I give myself a little flexibility on. It has to be before the 7.30 run. But recently, it has been too early. It's been around 5 a.m. My target is more 6 a.m. I think I have a lot on my mind and have been waking up really early. <laughs> so the target is 6.30. Kind of If I wake up after 6.30, I'm a little disappointed. And I try to never use an alarm. So it's kind of what my body thinks is best. But recently, it has been more like 5 or 5.30. If you wake up past 6.30, do you like give yourself spankings or what? <laughs> no, I just, I miss out on some of my reading time and I'm disappointed. But then I also say, hey, you know what? If you also need to get, you need to sleep. So you slept past 6.30 for a reason. So it is what it is. So you say YOLO? Pretty much. I'm glad that you've kind of explained this because I used to, I feel like beat up on myself sometimes too much, you know, and then I'm just like, you know, if I needed to sleep a little bit longer, like you said, because I, I haven't been waking up with the alarm and I'm usually up probably around seven, but it's like, should I be waking up at like 4am? Like Jocko tells me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> should I be going, you know, I'm like, I can't do it. <laughs> and so here's a funny story with that. You know, when I was at NetPulse, our head of customer success, and I'm not making this up, he commuted to San Francisco to this job from Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, he would stay in San Francisco for a few days and then go back on the weekends to Little Rock, Arkansas. And he would, as a result, he'd stay on central time because it was just more, it was just, it made more sense to him to stay on central time. So he would start his day at like 4.30 in the morning. Wasn't that crazy because that was you know, 6.30 central time. And he was so productive. And I decided for a while I was going to do it with him. So I was getting up at 4.30 and oh my goodness, like I was a machine between like 4.30 and 7.30. I was cranking out blog posts. I was writing, you know, department strategies for our new like operations team. I was a machine. But if you ever want to like go out to dinner with somebody at seven, you're screwed because by like 745, I was ready to pass out. So I love the early morning. I have definitely found the balance where if you do it too early, you just have almost no flexibility in the evening. You're like, you have to go to bed early if you want to not lose sleep. So I have found that the more average of a 6 a.m. wake up tends to be a healthier balance for me. But I did go through that 4.30 a.m. phase and it, it was magical while it lasted. I did it for like several years. Oh, wow. Like when I was younger. Yeah. Mid-20s or something like that. I could do that during the week, Monday through Friday, because I didn't care. How, all I did was care about work, really, you know, but it, I still had fun at the weekends, though. You just have to stay up extra long on Friday night comparatively. Like, And people would know I'd get to work at 4.30. They thought I was machine. I'm like, dude, I just go to bed at 8. It's mm -hmm. not that hard. That's right. The hardest thing now is just there literally are screens everywhere. I think it's just hard for me to turn it off. You know, normally I think I'm asleep officially by 11, sometimes 10, but it's just, I feel like that screen time really fucks me up. I know. That's why I always try to switch to reading, switch to the book. Now I'm reading on an ebook, so it's a, it's a <laughs> yeah. Kindle on an iPad. So it's, it's still the screen, but not as much like big white background with texts and distractions. Yeah, well, makes sense. Well, uh, yeah, well, thanks for staying on a little bit more. Discuss this at the end, because again, I think these little tips kind of help everyone who's listening. Usually I kind of reserve these for the Patreon episodes that like the actual tactical tips. So I definitely appreciate you telling us a little bit more about your insights and how you've been so yeah, successful. Sure. So if anyone wanted to say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? 
go to my website. It's my last name, Skloot, S-K-L-O-O-T.org. Some good blog articles there. And then there's a link to send me a note from there. So that'd be the best way to do it. Be happy to chat with anybody. Cool. And they can find the blog article there too? Yes, they can find all my routines. Yeah, see, the benefits of routine. And again, we'll have that in the show notes too. But I figure if anyone wants to check it out now that the episode's ending, they could check it out now. So I guess any last words of wisdom for anyone listening before we get off? Oh gosh, we covered a lot. We really like, I feel like I said, especially as I'm, you know, wake up early, stick (laughs) stick to your routines. You know, if I had to leave with one thing that I feel like would encapsulate some of the stuff we talked about today, it's like, you can't predict the future and you just, you never know what things might look like. Like if you had told me we were first starting at 10.com, what was going to happen? I'd be like, what are you talking? No way. And if I had known that through that craziness with the 10.com, I would end up like doing the San Francisco thing and learning so much new there, I would have said no way. And if you had told me that through the crazy thing with the 10.com, we would have ended up starting Crystal. I'd be like, what? And then through Crystal, if you told me that we would have ended up like Drew and I published a book in 2019, if you told me we we're going to do that, I'd say, what, are you crazy? Like, no way. So it's almost like when you look back at the time at something that was, a fa- in my mind, a failure, an emotional trauma, each of those things, you just, you don't know, A, that that's going to come or B, what seeds it's going to you know plant that it's going to turn into and of course it turned into so many other things that have kind of shaped the course of my career and life and and learning so i guess if i was taking away a piece of advice it'd be like if it feels like you're going through something kind of shitty right now you just never know what is going to grow out of that and it might end up being something a lot better than the thing you're you're currently in or, or maybe it's exploding so i've learned that in a painful way but it's been a good lesson to learn yeah and that book is uh predicting personality right Correct. Correct. So everyone can check that out. Yes. We go into even more depth on the the story of getting fired and how Crystal works. So definitely a good resource if anybody's interested in in more details on book personality and the technology and our wacky uh, story of how we built it. Well, thanks for coming on, Greg. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Austin. I know what you're thinking right now. You want more tech-based interviews, don't you? Well, if you become a Patreon member... We've got plenty of extra interviews for you right now. Just jump on over to the Patreon feed. Plus, I've got a special spreadsheet that has every interview categorized by industry. So you can easily jump to interviews that will help your business immediately. So to become a member, just check out our website, millionaire-interviews.com. And if you made it this far into the podcast and you aren't a Patreon member, well, then what's holding you back? Message me on Pornhub and let me know. My username is bizboy69. That's B-I-Z-B-O-I-6-9.